0: This is going to be the third week we've been in Matthew 6, which is the middle chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. The first half of chapter 6, Jesus talks about hypocrisy, and I talked about that two weeks ago, doing things to impress people. The last half of chapter 6 is another desire, and that's not the desire to impress people, but the desire for money and material things. So two strong temptations he deals with in chapter 6, popularity and money. And Jesus asks, what do you really want? Where is your treasure? Who's your master? You know, what are you seeking? What are your priorities? So Matthew 6 is really about ambition. What do you really, 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 really want in life? Is it popularity? Is it money? You know, ambition is good. All people are ambitious for something, and Jesus assumes we're ambitious. And so he asked four questions in the last half of this chapter. Three of them were in last week's text with three metaphors. And the first question is, where's your treasure? Because that's where your heart's going to be. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, last week, Tracy preached on this, and I believe he was right. It scares me when I agree with Tracy Dyer, but I do believe he was right on this. (laughs) When Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, If you look at what's in heaven, what's there? People. And God, of course. Of course, the kingdom of God is people and God. And what we should be treasuring is God's kingdom, which is people, and trying to get people into heaven. So invest in the kingdom. Invest in people and getting them there. And then he says, the next uh, metaphor, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? His second question is, where's your focus? Uh, The unhealthy eye in Jewish thought was very often considered a stingy eye, and the healthy eye was a generous eye. And so again, the focus is on money. Is your money focused on self? Is it all about self or is on others and generosity? And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, three questions. What's your treasure, heaven or earth? Where is it? Where are you investing? Second question, what's your focus? The Metaphor of an eye: generous or stingy. Third metaphor, is slavery. Whom will you serve, God or money? Because you can only have one master. It cannot be both. And today's the fourth question. In this ambition issue, Jesus talks about worry. If you store up treasure on earth, and if you're stingy, and if you're serving money instead of God, you're inviting anxiety. So in verse 25, he says, Therefore, based on what the first three points is, since you cannot serve both God and money, therefore I tell you, do not worry. If you're seeking treasure here, You're going to worry because there's always a fear that you won't have enough. You're going to fear that you're in the wrong investment. You'll worry that you're not going to be as well off as others and fear that you'll be poor in retirement and you can't afford to get the kids through college or fear that you won't enjoy life. If money is your God, that's what's going to happen. So verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear, is not life more than food and the body, more than clothes. Good news for worriers. Most warriors tend to have what someone called a high capacity imagination. In other words, worriers tend to have an above average IQ. So if you worry, it might be a sign that you're smart. But worry's not smart, so that's kind of ironic. But warriors often have more creative potential, but that creative imagination can run toward the negative. The word itself, worry, is neither bad nor good. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had concern. That's how it's translated there. It's the same word, though, concern for the churches, and that was good. But for the most part, worry is not a good thing in the Bible. In one place, it's actually placed alongside drunkenness. Now, I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say, well, don't worry, God will take care of you. And that's easy to say, but it's not easy to live. When you're under financial pressure, or dad's leaving the family, or a daughter comes home pregnant... Or you get news, it's cancer. And then someone says, ah, don't worry. That's almost cruel. Because some anxieties and concerns are natural. But what Jesus has for us in this text might be one of the best reasons to be a Christian. If you can do what Jesus has here, You'll relieve a lot of stress in your life. I mean, This stuff works. I tried it. I am the king of worry. Ask Ellen. Ask the elders. I can worry. And this text, when I do what Jesus tells me to do, helps so much. He gives an antidote that actually works. Notice, first of all, the tense in this verse. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. It's future tense. Worry is about Later. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Those were primary concerns, by the way, in the first century. Those are not primary concerns today. We do not worry about what to eat. I mean, look around. That's obvious, right? We don't worry about what to drink. Unless it's a boil order in Mount Pulaski, right? Or we don't worry about what to wear because we give clothes away. We have so many clothes. So first century people, I think, would look at 20th century, 21st, we're 21st century, right? 21st century people, they look at us and say, Man, you must never worry because you have food and you have drink and you have clothing, you have more than you need. You don't have any worries, do you? But we do. About the kids, aging parents, bills, job. We worry about the marriage worry will i get married so jesus said the first thing recognize worries about later in the future that'll help we'll get back to that and then he says is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes what he's saying here isn't it true that your life is more than what you worry about it worry about think about it your life is bigger than what you worry about no matter what you worry about, even if it's your health, which is very important, or your family, which is very important, whatever you worry about, is not life more? So I want you to fill in the blank, what is it you worry about, and then ask, is not life more than that? Is not life more than blank? I, for me, is not life more than retirement? Yeah. Now you can plan for it, but don't worry about it. Is not life more than health, good health? Yeah, it really is. Now, you take care of your health, but it doesn't do any good to worry about it. Is not life more than a house payment? Is not life more than a bad marriage? Yeah, you do what you can to fix it, but worry's not going to help. Is not life even more than dying? In Christ, it is. Life is more than whatever you worry about. So look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or sow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, my first reaction, who has time to look at birds? I mean, I have to work tomorrow. I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job tomorrow, and I don't have time to stand around and look at birds. Only old people do that, you know. And uh, when Jesus taught this, (laughs) just kidding. When Jesus taught this, Jesus was outside. It's a sermon on the mount, and people would look at them and say, Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to be a bird of the air? I would love to fly. And they don't seem to have any worries. They don't have any concerns. And Jesus says, Are you not more valuable? Now, he's not saying don't study for that test. And he's not saying don't get ready for that job interview. And he's not saying don't budget or plan for retirement. He's not saying live irresponsible. What he's saying in his first verse is first of all, you have an extraordinary advantage over nature. The birds do not store away in barns. Birds cannot prepare for the future. You can. You have that advantage. You can think ahead. So we have that advantage over the birds. We can prepare for tomorrow. They can't. And in light of the fact that you can prepare for tomorrow, why would you worry? You can prepare. They can't. And they're okay. They don't worry about whether there's going to be a worm there tomorrow or not. And they have no control. And then he asks a question, which gets to the heart of it. Aren't you more valuable than they? You're the crown of God's creation. Remember the old song, his eyes on the sparrow? And I know he watches me. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So Jesus said, okay, let's talk about health. Health is important, but life is more than health. And can you make your health any better by worrying? See, maybe the question here should be, who of you by worrying has probably taken a year off of your life because of the stress? We can worry about things that aren't even there. I remember my daughter, when she was a little girl, worried about daddy eating all the pancakes and she wouldn't get any. I have no idea where she got that, you know. It's just unfounded. And we worry that our Heavenly Father is not going to give us any pancakes. He's not going to feed us. He's not going to care for us. See, when, and when it comes to our giving or finances, our money, you know, one of the biggest hindrances to being generous or tithing is worry. Jesus knew that. Well, I can't give. God's not going to take care of me. And we just go counter to the word. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the birds of the uh, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? If God does all this in nature, birds and flowers, and even the grass, grass that you cut, grass that you step on, if God cares for them, and if you and I are made in the image of God, can we not trust that God has our future in mind and that we can trust Him with our future? See, worry is blind. It's blind to the lessons of nature. Jesus says, look. Look at the birds and see. See the flowers. Open your eyes. And if you worry about clothing and food in the future, you've been blinded to God's action in nature. So he's appealing to zoology, birds of the air. He's appealing... By the way, birds, I understand. Someone said, I don't know if it's true or not. I think it is. Birds have to eat constantly just to survive. And they have no idea if a worm's going to be there tomorrow. They don't even think about tomorrow, of course. But they have to eat constantly. God feeds them. Jesus appeals to uh, physiology. Can you add to your life, height, or length? Botany, he uh, appeals to botany and the flowers of the field. So not only are we blind to what's all around us in nature, but we're also blind to the important things. Life is more than what I worry about. I usually worry about trouble that never comes. I've worried about finances for five decades, needlessly. And it's just not worth worrying about. And when I've worried about finances, what I've done, I've made finances the essence of my life. Is not life more than finances? I've known farmers who are worried about getting the crop in or out, fretting stew. I've known farmers who just don't worry about it. Same situation, different attitude. Worry blinds us to God's love and care. It blinds us to the real situation. It blinds us to what's really important. And it blinds us to the lessons of nature. And he says, you of little faith. Now, I think Jesus said this kind of in a chuckling way, a uh, way that the people would chuckle as they listened to him. Because Matthew... Uh, put two Greek words together. Now, Jesus said it in Aramaic, and Matthew put two Greek words together that are never used together again in the rest of the Bible, never used, as far as we know, in other Greek literature. And he said it in a way that I think the response would be a crowd. (laughs) And Jesus said, you little faithers, you, look at your Father's world and how well God takes care of the planet and the universe, and you don't trust Him, you little faithers. You don't really trust Him. So I reach out and I grab tomorrow's concern, things I can't do anything about in tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I reach out into tomorrow and those concerns, and then I drag them into today, and I overload my emotions. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? See, worry's always about later. It's always about tomorrow. I can't do anything about it, but I'm going to worry about it, and we borrow tomorrow's trouble and bring it into today. And she says, you don't need to do that because your father will be there tomorrow. So, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So do not worry what shall we... get? future tense. Shall we eat, shall we drink, or wear... The pagans, those are simply people who have no concept of a personal God, and they don't know this God like we do. The worry is ungodly. The pagans, people who don't know God, God, run after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows, and I think that's huge. He knows you need them. Now, I got some of this from Andy Stanley. He did a great sermon on this. Uh, But anyway, he says, ask yourself a question. What if you're absolutely, confidently, absolutely sure with abiding certainty that your Father knows exactly what you need. What if you heard God whisper, I know? I know. Now you might freak out hearing a voice of God, but after you freaked out, with abiding certainty, you know God knows exactly what you need. I know. You don't know how things are gonna turn out, but wouldn't that be about 90% of the battle? Your God knows what you fear, what you need, what you're going through. The uncertainty and the emotion that comes from the uncertainty, he knows it all. I know. Pagans are running after all those other things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Your ambition is not to be food or clothing or money or popularity. Your ambition is his kingdom. Seek first. Not second, not third, not fourth, not when you have time, not when it's convenient. The Greek word for seek here is actually the same word for run after. And where it says pagans run after these things, the pagans are seeking those things. You seek, you run after the kingdom. You chase it with all your heart because that's where your treasure needs to be. See, worry is all about chasing things. One person, often the person that worries is the person that wants more, more houses, bigger cars, going to get ahead, more popularity, more money. And chasing things, maybe for our kids, chasing what our neighbors have. Their ambition is all these other things. And Jesus said, you chase after what matters. His kingdom, his righteousness, and by the way, all these other things people are chasing after, you'll have them too. I'll take care of you. This text and the text before us asks these four questions. Just want to summarize. Where's your treasure? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. Your heart will follow your money. Look in your checkbook. Store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Invest in his kingdom, in God's people, in people. Second question, what is your focus? Talk about the good eye and the bad eye. Bad eye is stinginess. Good eye is generosity. A bad eye is blinded by materialism. What's your focus? Third question, who will you serve? Who's your master, God or money? Because you can't serve both. And then this section on worry is who do you trust? Where's your heart? Where's your eye? To whom will you be a slave? And who are you going to trust in? In Luke 8, Jesus tells a parable of seed that fell among four four soils, and some of the seed, which was the gospel, fell on thorny soil. And here's what it says about it. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Choked by worry and money. So, to summarize this, when you are tempted to borrow from tomorrow... And bring it into t- today. And it's going to ruin your day and freak you out. Instead of doing that, just look around, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass, have a bird brain and seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Chase after that. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, whatever you worry about, Jesus wants you to relabel it. Therefore, do not worry about blank. Whatever you put in that blank, I want you to relabel your worry tomorrow. You're not really worried about your bills. You're really worried about tomorrow. You're not really worried about that surgery. You're actually really worried about tomorrow. Relabel all your worries tomorrow. Tomorrow may be money. It may be kids. It may be tuition. It may be health. It may be marriage. I am worrying about tomorrow when I worry about any of these things. My father said, I do not need to worry about tomorrow, so I'm not going to. And it works. I've done it. I'm not perfect, but, but it, it works. On Saturdays, I used to dread Saturday, especially Saturday evening, because I knew that I was preaching when? Tomorrow. And I would be nervous and uptight, and it would just ruin my Saturday evening. Public speaking is not easy for me. Uh, in my early years, I'd be running to the bathroom over the prospect of preaching. It made me so nervous. And finally, I was able to relabel preaching tomorrow. I'm not preaching until tomorrow. And Jesus said, don't pull tomorrow's worries into today, and now Saturdays are enjoyable. So I worry about retirement. Well, that's Tomorrow. And my Heavenly Father told me not to worry about tomorrow, so I'm not going to. Why would I smuggle tomorrow's trouble into today? There's an old gospel song. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. I read once about a clock that got to thinking about how much it would have to work in one day, and that clock figured out it would have to do 86,000 ticks in one day. In a week, it would be over 600,000 ticks. And I just got to thinking more and more about how many ticks it would take in a year or five years, you know, and the clock broke down. How's the clock make it? How do they do those millions of ticks? One tick at a time. Don't worry about the next tick. And some of you are thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. My worries are so much bigger than having to worry about preaching tomorrow. This is not for me. And I just want to say to you, what if you really believe God knows what you need and God will be there tomorrow? What if you actually really believe that? And what if you decided, I'm going to believe what Jesus said about my future? Here's the thing. If you choose not to put faith in God, you're essentially choosing to put faith in your worry. And I'll just ask, which one is more dependable, worry or your father? I mean, those are really the choices. What if my whole message today would say was trust in worry, trust in worry with all your heart, and worry will make your life better, and worry will feed you, and, and worry will, you know, take care of your kids. And I gave illustration how wonderful worry is, and, and you would say, that's absurd. We know that doesn't work. Worry never comes through. No one ever sings, worry's got the whole world in its hand, you know. Worry or the father? The issue, of course, is faith. At the very end of Jesus' life, before he was arrested, Jesus gathered with the disciples and lo and behold, he goes over this very same thing again because the disciples were, guess what? Worried. What is going to happen? The Romans are coming. The Sanhedrin is after him. They have good reason to be concerned, and in John 14, on top of that, Jesus announces he's going to be leaving them, and where he's going, they cannot go, they have more reason to worry, and then in John 14, 6, Jesus, he knows what they're thinking, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me, trust us. So at the very end of his life, Jesus comes back to this teaching, do you trust me or do you not? And then he was crucified. And the disciples, they're more worried. It's worse. They run away, they hide, they're scared. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And suddenly the whole idea of not worrying about tomorrow made perfect sense. This guy's in control. And when he says, You don't need to worry about tomorrow, we can believe him. Life of faith or life of worry? Who you, by worrying, can add one hour to your life? Or pay the grocery bill. Do not pull tomorrow into today. God will be there tomorrow, His eyes on the sparrow, and He's watching you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a lot easier to preach than it is to practice. But this passage can be so helpful, even revolutionary. For we who live in a world of uncertainty and have reasons to worry, but you have promised that tomorrow is in your hand. You who care for the birds and the flowers and the grass, you will care for us. Thank you for that assurance and may we live a life of faith, not anxiety, and pursue your kingdom and your righteousness knowing that all these other things will be ours as well. We pray it in Jesus' name.